Amen. Bless the Lord. We're going to the book of Romans, the 12th chapter this morning. The Lord's been speaking to me about this passage the whole time I've been away, actually. And uh, I didn't preach it while I was away because I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about it for us. I don't plan on being too long, but we're just going to let the Lord speak to us today. I'm glad that we have carpet. This oil's not going to make me slip over. When you go to Indonesia, just about every church there is tiles. So oil at the front of the pulpit would be exciting to preach with. But uh, I should be able to keep my footing. Bless the Lord. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Just as I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Amen. I'm going to teach or preach a little this morning on the subject of sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you for your faithful people that are here in your house. And we just pray that your word would minister to us, Lord, that, Lord, you would anoint me. Lord God, you know this body's a little weary, but God, I pray that you would anoint me and speak through me today. Lord God, just have your way. In our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless the Lord. This verse of Scripture is well known to many of us, and it's been preached from many, many times. And if you've been walking with the Lord for some times, you've heard it preached from many times. But it, it contains principles that are important for all of us to be reminded of occasionally. And uh, Paul, Paul begins the verse with a certain intensity. He beseeches us. It's not a, a suggestion. It's, it's an urging that we would consider the things that he is about to say. But he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And when we see that word, therefore, we need to look at what was written before that. Because it is, he's saying, because of this, this is why I beseech you, or therefore, brethren, because of what he's just discussed. And we know that the chapter divisions are very handy, but sometimes they can be a little bit misleading in interpretation of Scripture. And when you go back to chapter 11 to examine what is the therefore that Paul is talking about, you see that he speaks in chapter 11 of how the nation of Israel has been cut off from the promises of God because of their unfaithfulness, because of the hardness of their heart, the Lord has cut them off. And the scripture uses uh, the image of an olive tree, which Israel was often described as an olive tree and and Paul's language in the 11th chapter is that that tree, because of that nation's failure, has been cut off at the stump. And there's not a lot left but the rootstock. But the Gentiles, or the New Testament church, or you and I today, have been grafted in. Now, most of you are aware that I'm not a green thumb. I'm not a gardener, so I can promise you I've never grafted anything. But my understanding is that the process takes place when a healthy tree that is, is strong, another kind of plant is taken and they will cut certain ways to, to join the branches of one kind of tree into the rootstock of another, thereby drawing from the life of the original rootstock to source or to strengthen and sustain that which has been added in. And Paul writes in Romans about the Gentiles, about the New Testament church, as if we are a wild olive tree, not the original product, not the purebred people of Israel that God originally worked with, but we are described as a wild olive tree that has been grafted into good rootstock. We've come from without. We were originally, when you study the Scriptures, we were originally on the outside. We were not considered a part of that covenant, but we were brought in. And we were added to that rootstock so that the life that flowed or flows rather, because it's a continuous thing, from that original tree now produces fruit in that which has been grafted in. That's the image that Paul is giving us, the prophecies and the promises that were made to a nation in the physical are being fulfilled or fruitful in the church, in the body of Christ, or in the spiritual. We do not claim certain geographical locations like the nation of Israel could and so many of the promises they had were physical and specific to their nation, but they are spiritual in their application to the church. 
but we are grafted into that original rootstock, which we understand still gets its life from God. And that life flows through into the New Testament church. There are many examples we could use today, but you talk about the book of Ephesians where it talks about how there was a time where we were without hope, where we were outside of the commonwealth of Israel, where we were not in, but God has broken down that wall of petition and made us both one by His Spirit and by the new birth of being born again of water and spirit. And this is the picture that He's painted to us with this concept of a, of a wild olive tree being grafted into the original olive tree. But in chapter 11, as Paul explains that, he spends several verses also warning us in the church. He warns us that just because we've been grafted in, we should not become proud or self-righteous because just as the Jews were cut off, so can we be just as easily. That's the teaching. He said, if we, if we fail to please God in a similar fashion as they did, we can be removed just as easily as they were. And so the encouragement of the Apostle Paul is, don't take it lightly. Don't get a big head and think, well, we're better than the Jews, because that's not the case. But we've been grafted in by the mercies of God, and we need to take that very seriously. Amen. And that is the platform that Paul writes chapter 12 and verse 1 to us. That is the launch pad that he uses to say, I beseech you, brethren. I urge you, brethren, be by the mercies of God. Or in other words, because God has been so merciful to us and he has grafted us in and he's been good to us and his grace abounds towards us. He says, I urge you because of that opportunity that you have been given that we have been given this morning. He said, don't think that that position of favor that we have is somehow earned or that we've deserved it, but it's through the mercies of God and we ought to take hold of it with everything that we have and to never let it go. Paul doesn't say, oh, by the way, or this is just an afterthought or you can discard this if you want. He says, I beseech you. I urge you. It's it's possibly some of the, the strongest language that he can use. It is his heart's desire that those that he's writing to would recognize that this is not to be taken lightly. Amen. The use of the word bodies, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, doesn't imply a separation somehow of our physical structure. But it speaks about our lives. It speaks about the lives that we have. It doesn't mean that somehow we can separate ourselves from our bodies and offer those bodies as a sacrifice. But it's speaking to us about the lives that we live and the who that we are. And Paul uses an expression in this verse that really doesn't normally make a lot of sense. He speaks about a living sacrifice. And those two words... Normally, we would say that they're mutually exclusive or rather one cancels out the other because the sacrifice in a biblical context almost always involves something dying. It almost, almost always involves the offering of a life and so there is death involved, not life. So to use the expression a living sacrifice is something that we need to pay attention to. In their approach to God in the, in the Old Testament, when they offered a sacrifice, something gave its life. Depending on what the sacrifice was and what it was for, it could have been a lamb, it could have been a bullock, it could have been a couple of pigeons or turtle doves. But there was nearly always the, the loss of life involved. And once you'd offered that animal, that was it. You couldn't offer that same animal again. It was dead. If I brought my lamb to the tabernacle or to the temple and... Its life was given as a substitute for me in an act of worship. I can't take that thing back to my house and lean it up against the wall and then come back the next day dragging that dead carcass behind me. It's unacceptable because it's already been offered. It's done. It's finished. The sacrifice of that day is for that day. That's why under the law they had evening and morning sacrifice because it had to be continued. It had to be ongoing. So when Paul writes of a living sacrifice. He speaks to us of the sacrifice of our lives. And this epistle 
is written to the church. If you understand the structure of the New Testament, the epistles are written to people that are already born again. And it cannot, when he talks about this sacrifice, it cannot be referring to our initial repentance or to the first time that we died to our sins. Because number one, the people he's writing to have already had that experience. And the way that the verse is worded speaks of an ongoing process. It is a continual thing. It's something that has momentum. It's not just a once only. And so he writes to us about offering ourselves. That he, said, he doesn't just say you do it once and then you forget about it. Because in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, let's turn there. I'm not going to be too long this morning. We can look at some of these scriptures. Galatians 2 and 20. Give you some practice finding some books in the Bible. The Apostle Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Crucifixion speaks of death. But then he said, nevertheless, I live. Again, these seem to be contradictory statements. He said, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul is telling us is that that past life, that life I used to live in sin before I came to Jesus Christ, that's dead. That's now to the cross. He said, but I'm living now in a new life, a life that he speaks of having through the Spirit of God. But there's something we need to understand, and that's this. Our flesh, everybody point at your own chest. Say, my flesh. My flesh and my human nature, my will, is one of the few things in this world that can be sacrificed at an altar and still come back to life. I'll say that again. Our flesh, our human nature, our own natural carnal will is one of the few things that you can sacrifice at an altar and it can come back to life again. Amen. I wish it wasn't so. I wish it wasn't so. I wish the first time I dragged my sinful carcass to an altar and repented that I left it there. But if you've walked with God for more than about 15 minutes, <laughs> you know that that sinful man has a tendency to resurrect when you open your eyes every single day. And you think, I'm sure I killed this man. You're dead. But somehow you're still alive. And that's why there is this ongoing nature about Romans 12.1 when he talks about a living sacrifice. Because there is something that is still alive in me that I have to say, Lord, I'm going to put this to death. I'm going to say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And it needs to happen on a daily basis. You don't necessarily mouth those words every day, but your mindset and your attitude and your practice needs to be like that every day. Because that human nature is not going to be finished with until the Lord returns for his church. And we're in that battle until that day. I wish, I'll say it again, I wish it only needed to happen once. I wish the first time I repented of my sins some 30 plus years ago that that was put to death and I didn't deal with that anymore. But that's not how it is. That's not how it is. Paul spoke, he said, he said I find in me another law. He, he spoke about a wrestle. He spoke about a struggle. spoke about a battle. He recognized that was within him. And even God manifest in the flesh in that garden in prayer had to say, not my will. And if God manifest in the flesh had to take that human will that he had that was sinless and submit it to God, then I can't see us being excused from that same responsibility. Amen. We understand this morning how that is. And Paul writes and he says, brethren, We've been given the mercies of God. Don't blow it. That's what he's saying. He's saying God has opened a window or a door of opportunity. He has made a way. He has invited you into something that you previously did not have an option at. He has grafted you in. He said, do not blow it. That's not King James English, but that's the message of that verse. Hang on. Don't let it go. Don't allow that ugly old man to rise from the grave and take control again. Because just as Israel was cut off, so can you be. So can I be. Amen. 
Bless the Lord. Sacrifice has always been and will always be a part of worship and pleasing God. Hebrews 13 and 15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, I think sometimes we read that verse and we don't really take it for everything that it means. Because we say, well, you know, in the Old Testament, they offered sacrifice. In the New Testament, we offer the sacrifice of praise. When we come to the house of the Lord on Sunday morning, we've had a bad week, not feeling too well, and we worship God anyway, that's a sacrifice. And that's true. It is. When you come to God's house and you lift your hands and you lift your voice that is contrary to how you're feeling, that is a sacrifice. But I do not think that that's where sacrifice begins and ends with the kingdom of God. I think that's a little bit light, if I can put it that way. Calvary, we understand that Calvary replaced or satisfied the need for blood sacrifice in our approach to God. We don't bring the animal anymore, but we come through the cross of Calvary. The blood of Jesus Christ makes it possible. It cleanses us from all sin, and it is through His cross that we approach God. And I'm grateful this morning that we don't have to go through literal animal sacrifice anymore. But although Calvary dealt with the sin issue, it did not replace or remove sacrifice from our worship and our walk with God. Amen. We do not sacrifice for our own sins. Let me make that very clear. I cannot offer God a sacrifice that will take away my sin. Otherwise, Calvary was unnecessary. Only the blood of Calvary can take away our sin. But it does not take sacrifice away from our relationship and our walk with God. And we are living in an age where Christianity has no cross. We are living in a time where the focus of much of present-day Christianity is about what God can do for me, about how God can bless me, about how God wants me. I I read some quotes the other day from some very well-known voices in that which is supposedly called Christianity, speaking of how God wants you to be wealthy and healthy and prosperous and how the Spirit of God will never convict you of your sin and, and on and on. These wonderful ideas that appeal to that old man but are not a part of the Word of God. My Bible says that the Spirit of God will convict us of sin. And it does tell me that the Apostle Paul didn't say, you know, If you serve the Lord and you believe and you have enough faith, you'll have all of life's goodies. He said, I know how to abound and how to be abased. I know how to have lots and how to have nothing. He said, whatever state I find myself in, he said, that's where we need to be content. He wasn't saying you had to be poor. He wasn't saying you had to be rich. He was saying whatever life situation is, you walk with God by faith. Neither is is accurate. It's not right to say God wants us to live in poverty. It's also not right to say that God wants us to live in wealthy excess. It's right to say those things aren't determined by our relationship with God. Some people will, I mean, mean, how we define poverty. I'd like to take some of you with me to some of the places I travel in Indonesia. And when we think we haven't got anything... And yet, from their little, they give much. Whenever we go there, we are treated with honor and respect that we are not worthy of. I had a very special experience last Sunday night in Kupang. It's apparently uh, traditional and an honor in that part of Indonesia, which I've never had before. I got to have the privilege of eating dog. (laughs) Now, you're all glad you didn't go with me. It was a little challenging for me psychologically, (laughs) but it was something that was special to them, so we partook of a little bit. I think my dog was looking at me strangely when I came home. (laughs) Something had changed. I just wish they hadn't told me what it was before I ate it. Bless the Lord. But poverty and wealth are really only measured by the environment we live in. What is wealthy in one country is not in another. What is poor in one country is not in another. And so you cannot say, well, this is where God wants us all to live at this particular level. Those things things are secondary. 
in the kingdom of God. Bless the Lord. And sacrifice and the concept and the idea of sacrifice is vanishing from modern Christianity. But it does not vanish from the word of God. You see, the new birth, being born again of water and spirit, places us in the body of Christ by identity. We become the sons of God. We're born again. You cannot save yourself. It's the grace of God that we access by obedience through faith. You cannot save yourself or take away your own sins. And you become His child by being born again. But once that becomes your identity, it is being a living sacrifice that puts you in the function of the body, that involves you in worship and service and ministry and glorifying and exalting God. Those things come through the pathway of sacrifice. Somebody once said, and there's a certain amount of accuracy in it, that it costs you nothing to be saved, but it costs you everything to walk with God. That's not a popular message. But when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, there was nothing left. And to use a sports metaphor, when his life came to an end, he left everything on the field. There was nothing left. He gave everything that he had for the pursuit of the kingdom of God and the glory of God. And we we are born again and we become identified with that, but we become functional in the body of Christ through the process of sacrifice and of offering ourselves to Him as a living sacrifice. The Apostle Paul said that it must be holy and that it must be acceptable. How do we offer God something that is holy? God is holy. We, We cannot equate our holiness with His holiness. But our holiness comes through living a life that is separated from sin, a life that is dedicated unto God, a life that says there are things that I will not have anything to do with anymore because I want to please God. That's the only way that we can attain holiness in God's sight is by separating ourselves from this world. And so anything that we offer to Him in sacrifice must come from the platform of separation. If we are involved in sin and know that we're involved in sin, then it does not matter what you offer to God. It is unacceptable. I'm not saying you have to be perfect. Don't misunderstand me. I'm talking about when we know that we're in sin, when we are consciously making decisions that put us at odds with the Word of God. You cannot bring an acceptable sacrifice from that platform. Read The Old Testament, you read the stories of how when there was sin in the camp, that God rejected everything that they did. Because, you know, in the temple and in the tabernacle, those sacrifices kept going every day. They were offered, they were offered. But when there was idol worship through the nation, it didn't matter how many sacrifices they brought. God said, sorry. It's not acceptable. Amen. In Isaiah 29 and 13, The Lord said, he said that the people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips they do honor me, but they've removed their heart far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. If that's not a reflection of the age that we live in, where men's understanding is applied to our relationship with God. Whereas God says, if there's a sacrifice that's coming from the heart, it's not just with, that's why, that's why it's more than just the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name. That's got to come from the very essence of who we are. You know, I, I don't believe you can worship God like a statue. I believe there's demonstration involved in worship, but your relationship with God is not measured by how close you can get to touching the ceiling or how many laps you can get around the church per chorus. That's not how you measure your relationship with God. Because all of those things have their place, but they must come from an altar. They must come from a place of dedication and separation where your life is offered unto Him. Otherwise, it's just like the Lord said, they're saying all the right things. They're acting the right things, but their hearts are a long way away. Bless God forbid that we should be in that condition. That's why Paul said, I beseech you, brethren. That's the kind of things that he was concerned about. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, the apostle wrote about offering up spiritual sacrifices. In other words, they've got to come from within us. Anything that you are or anything that you do for the Lord must first come from within you. 
from a heart that wants to please God, from a heart that says, Lord, whatever you ask. You know, many of us have come to an altar in our local church, at a youth camp, at a conference, at a, some kind of gathering of God's people and said, God, whatever you ask. How many of us have prayed that prayer? <laughs> Let's be honest. Spirit of God's moving on us. We're feeling his presence and his power and his glory. We say, God, whatever you want, Lord. And then the Lord turns around and asks us for something small or or we ask, you know, the pastor says, shall we pray and fast or let's have an extra service this weekend? And we go, you've got to be kidding. I hate fasting. Which is perfectly natural. If you like fasting, you may have a problem. But sometimes the Lord just requires that we draw nearer a little or something that we step up just a little bit and we forget when the presence of the Lord and His glory has lifted and we go back to day in, day out, and that prayer of consecration and dedication is a distant memory. And God draws us and we say, I'm a little busy. Or somebody asks something of us in service to the Lord or somebody challenges us or counsels us to do something for the Lord and we say, well, I can't really fit that in. You see, we all sacrifice. Everybody sacrifices, but it's what we sacrifice. You wrote down everything that you could fill your life with and then how many hours you actually have. You cannot fit that list into those hours. And so when you make your decisions about how those hours will be used, there are things on that list that will be crossed off. That's sacrifice. It's not always for God. But it's sacrifice. She said, well, I, you know, there's, there's, there are some things that's good to sacrifice. You know, the guys want to go and play some basketball there and you need to study for an exam, you should sacrifice the basketball. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not pointing that at anybody. I use basketball because I don't know the guys don't often get together and play basketball. <laughs> trying to pick something neutral. But there are things that we sacrifice for a higher purpose. But we live in an age where we are resource rich and time poor and we need to be careful we don't think that if we pay our tithes and offerings that we have ticked the box and nothing else matters I'm not saying stop giving don't misunderstand me but when God says would you draw near would you turn aside there are so many examples in the scripture of when somebody stopped listened went back, the, the one leper out of the ten that went back to worship Jesus. When Moses stopped on the mountain and said, I will turn aside and see this great sight. When the blind man cried out to Jesus. When the, the, the crippled man's friends let him down through the roof. On and on and on because they said, we are going to do this. They, there was a cost involved in some way or another for every one of those situations. I can't promise you that if I was one of those four friends that carried you to Jesus that I would have got on the roof. If I'm honest, I probably would have said, well, we tried. We got close, but we just today we just missed out. But there was something in them that said, no, we're going to get him in there somehow. We are going to make a way. Bless the Lord. It's easy for us to forget verses like Luke 14:33 that says, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. We don't, that, those kind of verses are uncomfortable because they speak to us about sacrifice. But it's got to be holy and it's got to be acceptable. Psalm 51 and 17, let's read this one. Psalm 51 and 17. David writing in a place of repentance, in a place of putting his old man back in the grave says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart O God thou wilt not despise 
when we take our will, our heart, our desires, our wants, our likes, our interests, and we break them, as it were, before God. They're the sacrifices that God is pleased with. They're the things that God says, I can work with this vessel. Sacrifice involves the surrender of our will. It involves the, the, that continual praying of not my will, but thine be done. You know, when Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and the Lord spoke to him about that lump of clay, of how it was marred in the hands of the potter. In other words, it had a flaw. Maybe it had some rocks in it or a, a bit of wood or some sort of imperfection. He spoke of how the potter was able to make it again. In other words, the potter, using his skills, manipulated that clay. He removed that which was flawed. He took out that part. Sometimes with clay, you can work it and soften parts that are hard. Other times, there are things that have to come out. And he said that the, the, the image that Jeremiah was given was that God could do the same thing with his people. But it requires that we be like clay that yields. Clay that does not yield to the pressure of the potter's hand cannot be formed into anything. And it stays an unyielding lump. But clay that yields when the potter applies that pressure can be turned from just a lump of ground into a beautiful vessel of honor. But again, there has to be a yielding or a surrendering. There has to be a brokenness of self. There has to be that old man that is put back in the grave. Because he gets up every morning and says, I want today. This is what I want today. And you have to make that decision, what he wants or what God wants. You have to say, like Paul did, I'm going to be crucified with Christ. I'm going to take that old man and put him on the cross again. And he's going to get up the next morning. You know, it gets tiring sometimes. But that's the battle. That's the battle. The Lord said to Isaiah in 66, he said, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made. And all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look. This is the man that God is looking for. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. That's not talking about his bank account. It's talking about that brokenness, that humility, that emptying of self. He that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. You know, the... One of the funny things, and I'm, I'm sorry, this is maybe a little bit of a heavy message since I've been away, but this is what the Lord's been dealing with me about. One of the things about sacrifice is nobody can make you do it. When God deals with your heart about something, that's between you and God. You, you, you know, somebody might say, well, you know, this is what the Lord wants you to do. And well, you can't make me do that, or you can't prove that from the Word of God. And sometimes you can't. It's just something that God draws us to and that He deals with us as an individual about and it's something that we can only come to as individuals because what he requires of me is different from what he requires of you and what he requires of you is different from what he requires of your brothers and sisters now there is a base level for all of us that god requires i understand that but there are things that god draws us to as individuals that because why because he knows our hearts that's why when the rich young ruler came to the Lord and he said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The Lord said, You know, keep the commandments, honor your mother and father and all the other commandments. And he said, I've done those things since I was just a kid. And then the Bible says that God, that Jesus looked into his heart and he could see that he was wealthy. Now, that wasn't the problem. But the problem was that his heart was full of wealth. That was his focus of his desire. And the Lord said, sell what you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. Now, that conversation only happened with that rich young ruler. That wasn't a part of the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't sit there with 5,000 people and say, all of you should sell everything that you've got and come follow me. No, but he had that conversation with that one individual because he knew what was in that young man's heart. And that's how God works with us. What's in the problem in my heart is not the problem in your heart. And the, the, the stumbling block or the hurdle or the hardness that I might have, you may not have a problem with. And so God draws me with that area and says, you need to put this on the altar. 
And my brother sitting next to me in service has absolutely no problem with the same thing. But there are other things in his life that God is drawing. Why? Because the scripture says he tries our hearts. And he knows the things that are holding us back that we will not release and place on the altar. Bless the Lord. It's individuals. The King David at the end of, of 2 Samuel, Israel, David had made some mistakes and Israel was being punished. There was a plague and, and David knew he needed to offer a sacrifice. He needed to, to do something to intercede in that situation. And he came to a man whose name was Arauna or Arona, and, and he said, I want your threshing floor. I want to offer a sacrifice here. And this man, out of his, his respect and his honor for his king, said, just have it, please. I'll be honored to let you use my threshing floor as a place to sacrifice. And David said these words. He said, I will give you what it is worth. He said, because I will not offer a sacrifice to God that costs me nothing. Because by very definition, sacrifice costs. If it doesn't cost, it's not, not a sacrifice. Thanks, buddy. I'll use your threshing floor. We'll offer a couple of oxen from the thousands that I've got lying around. That's not a sacrifice. David understood that if he was going to make this right with God and worship God, that he was going to have to pay something. There had to be a cost involved. Calvary is the ultimate demonstration of sacrifice. And we cannot, we, you know, we need to come to Calvary. We need to present ourselves to the Lord regularly. But you cannot ever come hoping to match your sacrifice with His. Because it doesn't matter what you give. It doesn't matter what you do or who you are. It's going to look really small next to the cross. But it's still our example. There's still a reason why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. It's not literal and it's tragic that there are people at Easter in some places in the world that literally will take up a cross and walk the streets and some of them even be crucified. That's a complete misunderstanding of the scripture. The purpose of that scripture is that he was fulfilling the will of his father. And if we will take, for us to take up our cross is to surrender our own will and to fulfill God's will in our lives. Every one of us has to take up that cross. There isn't a collective one that we all hold as a church, but it's individual. It's individual, and there is a cost involved, and David understood that principle. You see, because sacrifice, in its true sense, involves our spirit, our heart, our mind, and our strength, or our abilities, it cannot be measured horizontally. It should never be compared one person against another. should never be compared. Well, you, this person gives more time than this person. This person does more than this person. That should never happen in our midst because that's not how it's measured. But it must always be measured by God in the context of how he deals with each of us as individuals. Don't look at a brother or a sister and say, I'm never going to be like them. That's good because God didn't make you to be like them. Otherwise, he would have made two of them. But he made one of you. So do you not look at your brothers and sisters. Well, you know, because the Bible says that when we compare ourselves among ourselves, measuring ourselves by ourselves, we're not wise. As you've heard me teach before, there are two options. There's two outcomes there. One is you'll either think your brother is so much greater than you'll get discouraged. The other is you'll think you're greater than your brother and you get full of pride. Neither of those outcomes is good. But when we measure where we're at, it needs to be at the foot of the cross. It needs to be in the presence of God. The, the story in the Gospels of the widow's two mites reveals this principle to us. How Jesus went to church, stood over by the treasury, and watched how much money people put in. Very politically incorrect. Very, you know, personal space bubble. You know, we don't like people watching what we're doing with our finances. That's why when you watch people, they go to the ATM and they're looking around, make sure nobody's going to take their pin number. But Jesus stood there and he watched them give and he saw the rich come in and the Bible describes them as giving out of their excess. In other words, there was no price. Yeah, okay, technically there was, there was a, a price, but I didn't miss any of it. If I've got a million dollars and I lose 10000 
not a real big deal. If I lost $10,000, I'd be really worried. I'd be worried where that 10000 came from in the first place to lose. That's, that's the first thing I'd be worried about. <laughs> so it's, it's not about how much. It's not about, but it's, it's because then that poor woman came in. And, you know, those, those men, those rich Pharisees, they brought in their coins and they made a great noise and fanfare and fuss and wanted everybody to see how awesome they were. And as, as their offering went into the treasury box, it probably sounded like somebody hit the jackpot as all the coins went bang, 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 bang. And this poor widow came in and went plink, plunk. As her two mites went into the box and the Lord said she gave more than they all did. Now, anybody that studied economics or accounting knows that that's not actually true. But the measurement wasn't with ledgers and columns and balance sheets. But the measurement was in the cost to the widow. The widow sacrificed. The others went home, never worried about where their next meal was coming from, had the best of everything. And so what they gave in the house of God was no big deal. But the widow gave out of what she did not have. And that's how sacrifice is measured. Amen. What unlocks the blessings of God or the acceptance of our sacrifice by God is not the price in figures or numbers, but it's the cost to the individual. I'm not just talking about finance. That's not what we're talking about this morning. I'm talking about when God requires of us and God deals with our hearts, what is it that we're willing to pay? What, how much of ourselves are we willing? The old hymn says, Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does his spirit control. And that's the question. It's not about how much. It's about the stat, status of our hearts and what we're willing to give unto the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Sacrifice, I believe that sacrifice is one of the keys to revival. I believe that when as individuals and as a body, we are willing to sacrifice. And again, I'm not talking about our finances. I'm talking about our time. When somebody says, let's fast. When somebody says, let's come together and pray. When, when we say, well, let's, let's do a little bit more for the Lord. Let's put some time aside. Let's, can we help somebody with this? Can you do something for the kingdom of God? When we are willing to sacrifice, I believe that is one of the keys to revival. And conversely, the state of comfort hinders revival. When we are come, you know, as the Lord was dealing with me about this while I was away, I began to talk to us. I said, God, I don't feel like I sacrifice anymore. I want, I want to do more. I want you to draw me nearer to you. I don't want to just be going through the motions. Yeah, I'm pastoring the church and doing overseas missions, and but I want to feel that tug in my heart again. I want God to say, "All right, let's bring this a little bit closer." Let's get a bit more intimate here. Let me reveal myself to you in a greater way. Wherever you're at, I'm not, I'm not discrediting anything that you've done, but it doesn't stop. Paul said, I beseech you, brethren. Don't, don't just... See, what happened to Israel was God did incredible things and brought them into the promised land, but they just started going through the motions. Here's a sacrifice. Oh, it's the time for the sacrifice. Oh, it's the Passover. Go get a lamb, do this, do that. They're just going through the motions. And God's saying their hearts are a long way away. And it doesn't matter where you're at this morning, whether you're a new saint, whether you've been in this thing since the day you were born, God is still drawing. You don't reach some point where God says, all right, you've arrived, you put yourself in that parking bay over there and we'll wait for the rapture. But that drawing process, and Paul is saying, brethren, I'm urging you, continue to offer it. Let it be holy. Let it be acceptable. Let there be a price involved. Hallelujah. I want to see more of God. But there are no shortcuts. <laughs> you might have seen on the news in the last couple of days, there was a lady in Boston, I think it was, where they have that faint Boston Marathon. She, she got 
photos taken with former Olympic athletes as she was the first lady to cross the finish line. And, but then they found out that she joined the race at the last checkpoint. She didn't even run the whole thing. She managed to slip into the crowd and then finish off and, whoo, look at me. Now she's famous for that and apparently she's done it in other races as well. You can't do that in this race. There's no joining in at the end and saying, whoo. You've got to, the Apostle Paul said, I've run the race. I finished the course. He started somewhere and he stuck it out and he sacrificed again and again. He went to prison. He went to Jerusalem knowing that they were going to bind him and arrest him. But God said, go. And so he went and he sacrificed his own self for the kingdom of God. It is that the end of Romans 12 and 1 says that it is our reasonable service. That word, we use that in a different way today. When we say something is reasonable, we think it was okay. You know, that car's in reasonable condition. That was a reasonable meal. I stayed in a reasonable hotel. That means it, was, it got a pass mark, but it wasn't great. But in the scripture, in the original meaning of this word, it has to do with the planning and the thinking and the decisions of our mind. In other words, this is not going to happen unless we make some choices. We need to set ourselves and decide, I'm going to be a living sacrifice. When he calls, I'm going to answer. When he draws me, I'm going to respond. When he cries out to me and says, will you go? I'm going to be willing to do whatever it is that he asks me to do. That's our reasonable service. It's not just what is average. It's Lord. It will not happen by accident, church. You've got to make up your mind. Some things go on the altar. I'm not wanting to embarrass anybody, but most of us know that Brother Moses is, is a pretty talented soccer player. He's almost as good as I was when I was his age. None of you were there, so you can't argue with it. Actually, no, Brother Gavin was. He was there. So I'm sorry I lied, Brother Gavin. But Brother Moses' club has games on Sundays. And I'm not going to embarrass Brother Moses, but there's a bit of a tendency that when he plays, they win. And when he doesn't play, they lose. And when it comes to finals, just a few weeks back, I was with Brother Moses when his coach called, doing everything he could to talk him into playing in the final that Sunday. He was trying to find a way to, I think he would have rung me and asked me if I could give him a release if it was possible. But I didn't tell him he couldn't play. That's the decision that Moses has made. He's put that on an altar and said, Lord, not on Sunday. Not on Sunday. See, that's a sacrifice. That's his. I'm not about to have anybody call me up to play any finals on Sundays. It's not going to happen. So that's not my sacrifice. That's his sacrifice. That's between him and God. And when you put him first in whatever it is, because I promise you, the devil knows the price. And you have to make up your mind, I am not for sale. What God wants, I give. It's not negotiable. There's nobody that can offer me enough. When we moved to Perth some nearly... 18 so years ago, I went for job interviews and working in hospitality. It's a seven-day-a-week industry. And I sat down with, with employers and said, I cannot work Sundays. And in both of the jobs, or all three of the jobs I had in that industry in Perth, was, was, it was not a problem. They said, you can have Sundays off. That's not a problem. And in my jobs, in the two main jobs I had in Perth, the other staff members would say, how come you always get Sundays off? It's not negotiable. It's not negotiable. Bless the Lord. I'm not saying that to lift myself up. That's not a big sacrifice. But if you put God first, he will bless you and he will honor you. Amen. Stand with me if you would this morning. Sister Stinker, if I could have you on the piano, please. I know this is a little intense this morning. Uh, would have loved to just come back and preach the victory. But God is dealing with me, and I believe he's dealing with us. Let's not just be content. Let's not plateau wherever you're at. If, if you know there are things in your life that you need to get right, well, you need to get, do something about that as soon as you can. Don't put that off. 
But I don't want to just get like Israel and just be going through the motions. Oh, yeah, I missed church. No harm, no foul. Didn't get to this, didn't get to that. You know, I, I can't tell you that you have to be at everything. That's, that's between you and God. But I can tell you that God is drawing you to greater commitment, not less. If your consecration and your commitment levels are shrinking rather than going, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Bless the Lord. I grew up in a church, and in a generation is probably a better way to put it, where we had service just like we do here, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Brother Gavin will tell you. I don't think they kept attendance, but if they did, the numbers were exactly the same Sunday morning as they were Sunday night as they were Wednesday night. What's changed in our society? We've become full of ourselves. What we want is more important than what God wants. Can I say, show you biblically that you have to go to church three times a week? I can show you the Bible says don't forsake it. But again, that's, that's, that's a sacrifice. Just because I pastor doesn't mean I always feel like being here. You asked my wife, the alarm went off several times this morning before I got out of bed. <laughs> I didn't know where I was when the alarm woke off. I thought I was still in a hotel in Jakarta. But this is God's house. I want to be a worshiper. I want to be an offer of sacrifice. I don't just want to sing songs and say, I exalt thee with my mouth and go out of here and it's just, it's just another Sunday morning. It's just another animal sacrifice where my heart is somewhere else. I want to give him everything I've got. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Is there anything that he asks that's too much? Is it too much when we consider what he did? Hallelujah. These altars are open. You know your own life. I don't know it. You know the things God's been dealing with you about. But I would encourage you to present them to him this morning. Say, God, I want to be willing. Whatever it is, Lord, whether it's my job, my hobby, my sport, my friends, my education, my career, my family, whatever it is that God has spoken to you about. God, here I am, Lord. Out of a broken spirit and a contrite heart, Lord. Lord, out of a person that says, I want that old man to die. I want to give myself to you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.